Hello, friends. Welcome back to the show. My guest today is Dr. John Barry. He's a chartered psychologist and professional researcher, co-founder of the Center for Male Psychology, and a leading expert in men's mental health. Men and women both need help with their mental well-being, now more than ever. Yet, there seems to be a particular blindness when it comes to men's psychology and how to treat it, plus how to effectively communicate with men about their issues. Expect to learn why traditional masculinity is seen as problematic by the American Psychological Association, the most important factors that impact the well-being for a sample of over 4,000 men, the unique challenges that male psychology poses, how important it is for men to have a partner in life, whether men staring at women should be made illegal, and much more. This Monday, the David Goggins episode goes live, so make sure that you've hit subscribe and make sure that you have got your popcorn and your running shoes and your swear counter. Are we ready to go? I can't wait to release this. I'm so, so excited. This episode is brought to you by Crafted London. Finding men's jewellery that doesn't suck is very difficult, and Crafted London have nailed it. They're the number one men's jewellery company worldwide. They're sweatproof, waterproof, heatproof, and gym proof. They've got custom designs in gold and silver, necklaces, chains, pendants, bracelets, rings, and earrings. If you've seen me on any of the big cinema episodes on YouTube wearing a necklace, it will always be from Crafted. I absolutely love it. It works with formal wear, casual wear, whether it's daytime or nighttime. All of the pieces are super high quality. The designs are great, and uh, I love them. That's It's all I wear. Also, they have an unlimited lifetime guarantee. So if your piece breaks for any reason at any point during the entire life of the product, they will give you a new one for free. Get a 15% discount site-wide on everything by going to bit.ly slash cdwisdom and using the code MW15 at checkout. That's bit.ly slash letter C, letter D, wisdom and MW15 at checkout. Tell me if this sounds familiar. Your business gets to a certain size and the cracks start to emerge. Things that you used to do in a day are taking a week. You're drowning so much, you've now promoted your dog from company mascot to customer service representative. If this is you, you should know these three numbers. 37,000, 25, and 1. 37,000 is the number of businesses that have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. 25, that is the 25th year anniversary of NetSuite. 25 years of helping businesses to do more with less, close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. And one, because your business is one of a kind. So you get a customized solution for all of your KPIs in one efficient system. With one source of truth, manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. Everything you need to grow all in one place. Right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com modern. That's netsuite.com modern to get your own KPI checklist today. This episode is brought to you by Whoop. I've won Whoop for over four years now, since way before they were a partner on the show, and it is the only wearable I have ever stuck with because it's the best. It is so innocuous, you do not remember that you've got it on, and yet it tracks absolutely everything 24-7 via something from your wrist. It tracks your heart rate, it tracks your sleep, your recovery, all of your workouts, your resting heart rate, your heart rate variability, how much you're breathing throughout the night. It puts all of this into an app and spits out very simple, easy to understand, and fantastic fantastically usable data. It's phenomenal. I am a massive, massive fan of Whoop, and that is why it's the only wearable that I've ever stuck with. You can join for free 
pay nothing for the brand new Whoop 4.0 strap. Plus, you get your first month for free and there's a 30-day money-back guarantee. So you can buy it for free, try it for free, and if you do not like it, after 29 days, they will give you your money back. Head to join.whoop.com slash modernwisdom. That's join.whoop.com slash modernwisdom. But now, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Dr. John Barry. Why did you found the Center for Male Psychology? There's a couple of reasons. One is the, the general need for more accurate information on men's psychology. Um, and uh, the other was uh, because we had to, uh, already got a male psychology section of the British Psychological Society that was uh, facing the professional uh, people dealing with psychology and men's mental health. Uh, but we also needed to have something that was more public facing because I found over the years, I've been doing this for about 10 years, 12 years now, um, that there's actually a lot more interest and awareness, funnily enough, about men's psychology in the general public than there is within the profession of psychology. I, I was quite surprised when I started to understand this, but not only are people outside psychology more interested in male psychology or men's mental health, but there uh, seem to have more insights than a lot of people who are in psychology. I say that and I feel a bit embarrassed for for my profession. Why do you think that is? Uh, well, I think that there's a, it's a lot of it is the education, in inverted commas, that we get about gender, especially um, in psychology. Part of it is that we uh, there's a bit of a blind spot in that we don't really even focus on men as as a topic of interest it, it, at any level of psychology education. Uh, the one exception now is um, the University of Sunderland has got a module, an undergraduate module on male psychology, which gets brilliant feedback. But it's it's the one um, piece of of a, a module in the world that, that focuses on male psychology. So we have um, on the one side a blind spot to to even looking in that direction. Uh, but also when we do look in that direction, we often have a kind of see it through a particular lens that sort of distorts uh, what people see. So we, we tend to um, see men as, as being really the architects of our own problems. Um, there's uh, there's a, f- a fair bit of what you could call victim blaming that happens. So if, if men have mental health problems and they fail to seek therapy or any kind of help and they don't speak to people because they're too manly and stoical, well, it's their own fault, kind of, if if they end up, um, you know, ending their own lives. And there's that kind of, I mean, I actually, on my undergraduate degree back in the 90s, um, when we were discussing male suicide, which was, a, a, was discussed in the space of about two minutes compared to, to talking about um, lots of other topics in mental health, including women's depression, which we just uh, really went into quite some detail. When it came to explaining male suicide, um, given that women are twice as likely to have um, a, a severe depression than men are, um, but men are three times more likely to commit suicide than women are. Um, but uh, the explanation given was that men are better at DIY, so they just construct better methods of getting rid of themselves. And uh, 
in my seminar group that got a little kind of ripple of uh, laughter and I was kind of I was sitting there thinking well you know I'm not I, I'm I'm here to learn um but I'm just I'm not really sure I'm I'm learning anything very good here there's no theory behind here it's almost like we've just had a little bit of stand up and outside afterwards um we had a break and someone came up to me and said it was a woman so uh, you know well done i don't know how you managed to sit there through that and say nothing and and uh, i mean i just as i said like you know and lots of students are, i think the same you know you you're there to learn you 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 absorb this information you think that as a professor telling me this it must be true and uh, you know so we we just don't get enough accurate information about men's psychology we hear especially when it comes to medicine and vaccines and such like that the male default that there is a form which is used most drugs are optimized for the men the, the male body most vaccines are optimized for the male body we have different immune responses so on and so forth are you saying that this male default or whatever hasn't been ported across when it looks it comes to studying psychology oh yeah most definitely um especially when it comes to to therapy then you you very much got a female default but in terms of um examining men at all no it, it doesn't and in terms of medicine i mean i i think it's it's sometimes unfairly character characterized as being well it's a man's world so you know it's 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 medicine for men by men type of thing which is not really true i think that um when it comes to um testing experimental medication uh, it's a bit like being an experimental uh, pilot in an experimental fighter plane or something like that. You know, it's a dangerous thing. You don't know what's going to happen. There's some horror stories like recently or, well, 10 years ago, there was um, the, what they called the, the guy who was, I think, I think they called him the elephant man because he's, he took some experimental drug that was supposedly OK, but his, his head had kind of expanded up to, to some very terrifying um, shape. Um, now, men go in for lots of dirty, dangerous jobs. And I think being the, the guinea pigs is one of them. And there's a good reason for that, too. I mean, like uh, nobody, I mean, I think men tend to be protective of women. So so there's that. But there's a good reason. I mean, it's very often a woman who's of childbearing age doesn't know necessarily know when she's pregnant. If she's taking a medication that no one really knows what the effects are, that might damage the fetus. And we have no idea what the consequence of that might be. So there's very good reasons why uh, you know, ma uh, women should be protected and their, their unborn children protected from that sort of process. Why is there a difference in psychology studying the female brain when medicine appears to be studying the male form? Like, what's the reason for it being the, that way around? Uh, well, I don't think we're studying the female brain. It's it's not so much a biological thing. It's it's a lot of bad um, behaviours more than brain. I mean, if you're you're trying to go on a a fishing expedition to, to find all the differences between men and women in their brain that that can be a really subtle and, and controversial trip um, but what we're looking at more is the way that for example in in uh, in terms of therapy the, the ways men and women tend to respond differently to to stressful situations and that that's a really key thing so we have the we've got the the model that really applies quite well for women so um when we think about somebody who's depressed, we think about somebody who's maybe cries and kind of, you know, they feel sad and down and and, uh, and they might want to uh, talk to people about how they're feeling. Um, and that applies more so to men than women. And of course, we have to do the caveat here of, you know, there's 
different distributions of behaviors and things and types and not all women are the same and not all men are the same but by and large um i think it's important to recognize that that what we do when we're dealing with patients uh, um in in therapy tends to to be more modeled on what women like and respond to than what men do and uh, so women do tend to fit into this and it could be you know some people suggest it might go back to Sigmund Freud who his client group uh, were almost all women and uh, and that kind of model um, has sort of just become the default from there I mean how true that is I don't know but it's certainly one that we have to this day is this what you call the male gender bias yeah this is um, this is part of male gender uh, blindness in, is is something that Martin Seeger, cl- consultant clinical psychologist, who who really started the, the male psychology movement in in uh, in the UK, um, he coined this uh, phrase male gender blindness, which it, it tells you about um, just the, this uh, cognitive um, distortion really that we have. Like it's it's not something that people do intentionally, and people might be very fond of of men in general but they tend to have a a sort of a a blind spot to being able to see when men are having problems or even when boys are having problems we see it much more readily when when it's uh, problems are happening to women and girls than we do men or boys so and i think this this is borne out quite a bit actually and this is the the as a psychologist obviously i'm interested in in psychology and uh, and where male blindness male gender blindness tends to to be most obvious is in uh, in the therapy room. What's beta bias and gamma bias? Right. Um, so, uh, the, well, I'll start with alpha bias. Alpha bias is, is something uh, it relates a bit to what we were talking about with um, um, trials of um, medicines. Um, it was has been said, and it is still said quite a lot, that there's a bias in favour of of looking at that stuff um, from a men's perspective. And alpha bias in, in research and psychology was said to be um, the tendency to look for sex differences in any research that you do. This this was a, a focus of interest and, and magnifying differences between men and women and kind of male rats and female rats you know that was that was a, bit, a big thing. So, and uh, then beta bias is um, uh, the, the opposite really it's minimizing differences between men and women and that's what we've got really and it's another way of expressing male gender blindness is we have a tendency to minimize any differences that we see between men and women so when we have a therapy and it works well for women we don't really question whether it might not work for men because we're we're, we're saying well there's no real differences between men and women and in fact you know that the, the the saying about this is there there are more similarities than differences between men and women, which is absolutely true and absolutely true. But then again, you could say that genetically there's more similarities between men and or, or peop, uh, humans and uh, mice. Um, there are there's like we share 95 percent of genes, um, but there are differences and those differences make all the difference. And I think that's what gets missed with this. This, I think, in many ways, many ways, a well-meaning uh, view of of people like there's men and women are, are more or less the same, so we shouldn't treat them differently. And the fear is that if you do treat men and women differently, that you're going to, uh, you know, you're going to lead people back to the days of patriarchy and uh, things, ideas like this. It's going to, it's going to end up disadvantaging women. Um, 
And I, I just don't think that's true at all. And I, I think that we've we've come to the point when we have to discuss things in terms of um, the fact that, that men are committing suicide three times the rate that women are and, and all sorts of other problems that, that suggest that men are having unresolved mental health issues like men, um, uh, you know, substance abuse at two, two, twice the level that women do and homelessness, uh, much, uh, you know, uh, rough sleeping, much more. The prison population, you know, 95%. Well, there's there's many ways in which you, you see that, that men are having issues that aren't being dealt with um, by psychologists or therapists. They're, they're going, um, they're, they're being overlooked. And a lot of it is, is um, male gender blindness and this beta bias that we have. And gamma bias is then a, a kind of an elaboration of, of the idea of beta bias. And again, Martin Seeger um, is the person who identified gamma bias. Um, and this is the, the tendency to, uh, for example, when uh, when people do things that are good, um, sort of things that, that uh, you know, you would normally applaud and, and uh, you know, think that they might get prize and things like that. We tend to, when it, it's uh, done by a woman, we tend to emphasize the fact that this is a woman achieving this award or, um, or, or doing this great thing. But if a man does it, we tend to to, to not um, emphasize his gender so much. It's just kind of like it kind of goes in the background. It's a woman, though. It's, oh, look at this brilliant woman. Um, and this, it becomes more of a serious issue when it happens uh, in terms of um negative things like for example a, a topical thing is violence when violence is done by men we tend to to emphasize the fact that it's a, a man it's a violent man uh, but if violence um, is done by one we tend to play down that like it, you know somebody got um stabbed or something like that the, the fact that it's a woman might kind of disappear to the end of the story if it appears at all and th there's this this is quite important i think um, in many different ways, but because we, we then I think as therapists, um, we uh, one one very important thing in therapy is to have empathy for your client, and if we're uh, if if we basically don't like our client all that much because we're presuming really negative things about them, I think that's very likely to interfere with what's called the therapeutic alliance, and one of the the, the things that makes makes the difference between therapy being successful or not is therapeutic alliance. It's it's the thing that mo most consistently explains the difference between therapy that works out and ter therapy that fails. And if you have people who presume that they, if your client is is male, they, they've got male privilege, they might have had an easy life much easier than women. If if they, and if they say something, and this is not uncommon, if, if they're if the, this male client says that the reason he's there is because he's depressed, why depressed? Well, you know, I'm, uh, you know, I get into fights with my wife. Well, it's very easy to presume these days that, that well, you know, he's he's the guy who starts the fights. Or, or if she's hit him, why? What did he do to deserve it? You know, what's he done? You know, people fall into this sort of mindset, and uh, I th I think it's really important that. Um, especially for therapists. I mean, if if we're supposed to be trying to uh, understand people, meet them where they're at, um, not try and uh, kind of impose the idea that they should be able to talk about their feelings more than they might want to. Uh, you know, for therapists, we, we should be able to to make a much better um, uh, 
you know, day's work out of, of dealing with men than I think that we do. And I think it's not surprising that men don't turn up for therapy because lots of men just they 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 understand this. That it's it's fairly obvious to them. Is that the gender empathy gap? Is that another uh, way of describing it? Yeah, gender empathy. All of these these ideas are, are kind of overlapping. I mean, that it's one of these sorts of things where you've had different people in different places come up with a similar sort of idea and, and get, it gets a slightly different name. But The Gender, gender Empathy Gap is a name of a very good book, uh, but also um, describes um, this this kind of condition that we, we tend to sympathise with, with women when they have problems more than we sympathise with men. Yeah, I, I mean, it's a difficult one because we want to try and get to encourage men to open up you want to try and give women the opportunity to achieve parity in education and employment and independence and financial achievement and so on and so forth. And it's difficult to not have that done at the cost of um, accusing males of, of tyranny and patriarchal oppression and stuff. And I saw you share something about the guidelines from the APA and dangers of traditional masculinity. Yeah. Um, so the, there's the... One of the things that's that's been quite controversial in recent years is the the American Psychological Association released uh, guidelines on uh, uh, doing therapy with boys and men, and uh, a lot of people were very pleased that these came out um, until they read them, and then uh, the, the, there's I mean broadly speaking they're quite good. There's ten guidelines in there, most of them are good. Guideline number nine, which is about how to do therapy with men, it's actually really good. I mean I, I would stand by that. But there are a couple of guidelines there um, that, that really mess up the rest, the, the, the whole of the guidelines. Um, it's one of these things where, you know, um, it, 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 OK, so I'll describe them. So guideline one is um, about um, it makes the presumption that, that masculinity is, um, is a social construct, which is a very popular idea. And it seems to make sense if you look at the way men behave and dress around the world that, you know, men behave and dress and talk differently, you know. Um, on the other hand, there are some commonalities there um, uh, which tend to get overlooked. I mean, so we're told that, that the reason men uh, or any differences between men around the world are due to socialization. Um, so if, if you're, uh, you know, if you're in a country that tells uh, men that they should have long hair, well, then they have long hair, and because they're socialised to have long hair, and if it's short hair, a, a culture that tells them short hair, well, you know, it, it, people just fit into those sorts of things. But there's um, there's a lot of evidence. I mean, and and it's very unpopular to bring this up um, in social sciences these days, mainly because we've spent about the last 30, 40 years. Um, you know, talking about all the ways in which um, socialization of men has been bad for men and bad for women. Um, but we overlook, um, the, you know, the, some really obvious um, evidence, very hard evidence, actually, that, um, that, that there's biological correlates to, to lots of things about uh, men's behavior. So there's things about masculinity that are hard to, to get away from the biological um, influence of. So, for example, if we take um, something like um, uh, the impact of testosterone on fetal development, um, it, this this completely uh, week 13, the, the Y chromosome uh, triggers the release of a surge of testosterone 
And so the, the fetus um, will experience a, similar levels of testosterone to uh, an adolescent boy. So high levels of testosterone. Um, and this changes the, the, uh, the, the, the fetus entirely. So they, they are programmed then for the development of things like um, a different bone structure, larger muscle mass. And and then, I mean, there's other psychological things that that are kind of more controversial, but may well be true. Like they, they may well be programmed for um, a, a, a better ability at a mental rotation of things. In other words, a kind of ability to, to see things in three dimensional space a bit better than women do. Um, certainly in adults, there seems to be um, some differences there. And some studies have found correlations with testosterone in adults. I found uh, from a conversation I had a couple of weeks ago with David Putz, at the age of three, there is a 50% accuracy disparity in throwing precision at the age right. of three. Yeah. So if you get toddlers, boys and girls, you split them into two groups and get them to throw. This isn't to do with power. This is before testosterone from uh, puberty's kicked in. This mm. is exclusively due to that. And it seems like this predisposition toward mental rotation. Now, what women seem to be better at was um, remembering the location of things within a smaller area. So this would have made sense. This would have been adaptive, right? If you're a forager mm. and you need to know let's say you've got a, a one kilometer radius around wherever the current tribe is situated and you need to remember where's the good route, where's the bad route, where's freshwater, where's bad water, where's the bush that's got lots of berries, where's the bush that's mm. got less. Um, and it kind of plays into the trope, but like lots of cliches are born out of genuine biological predispositions. It's why uh, guys always lose their keys, but women can't remember the directions to get to their, their office or whatever. It's like mm. when you're talking about a broader range of things, a, a broader distance, men appear to have a better ability at being able to remember that. But when you're looking in a smaller area, like around the house perhaps, uh, they seem to be pretty useless, and the converse mm. is true for women. Interesting, yeah. I mean, the, the throwing thing, I mean, the, there's the prenatal surge at, at uh, 13 weeks that goes on for, for several weeks. Then there's a postnatal surge, too, in boys. Uh, again, a, for another very high surge of testosterone um, that happens um, in the months after they're, they're born. I, I don't know how much that has an effect on, on throwing ability. But there's loads of these things that we think of as being stereotypes and tropes uh, that are, in fact, true. They're real. I mean, the, the stereotype comes about for a reason in lots of cases. And so like people, I mean, I, I hate to say, use the term, I, I, you probably didn't use uh, throwing like a girl. I mean, did, did, did anybody, because instantly now loads of people just turned off. They've just stopped watching the video. Um, but th there's something to that. I mean, you know, th and people shouldn't get worked up or feel bad about it unless they want men or women just to be exactly the same for some reason. Yes. I, I don't have any problem with with just people valuing differences completely, to totally no problem. I also have no problem at all with with everybody uh, being allowed, given opportunities to to do whatever they can do in their life. So if they want to, if a, a girl wants to be a pitcher in, in for the New York Yankees or something like that, she should absolutely have every opportunity to do that. What do you think about the term toxic masculinity? Uh, obviously. Well, not obviously, okay, because a lot of people think that it's perfectly reasonable to use this term. Um, there, there is a, a, some sense to it, but I think uh, what's happened is a, a term that was originally used um, by some um, uh, the, the mythopoetic um, type of uh, guys back in the 80s and 90s, uh, they started using this term to describe young men who had not been initiated into the tribe. 
And if, if for whatever reason, a young man was not didn't go through the initiation ceremonies, which would help them to become a member of the tribe, um, they would kind of go off and kind of go a bit wild. They, they wouldn't they'd kind of feel any affiliation with the tribe. They'd be a nuisance. And so this was called toxic masculinity. And, you know, there, there's, you know, different suggestions of how to, to rein them back in. But basically, they were... Um, there was a it kind of made some sort of sense however this this term has been used out of context and it just becomes like it, it gets thrown around in the media um quite a bit um and uh, it just gets used in a generic way to describe any behavior that men do like you know so-called man spreading or whatever it might be or even men staring at women on the tube which is now illegal in london um you know men staring uh, at women on the tube is illegal in london Okay, so we need to dig. We need to dig into this, John. Yeah, if you um, actually, it's one of the articles in the Male Psychology magazine, which is on the the Centre for Male Psychology website. A very good article uh, written recently um, by Jenny Cummings Knight. She's a psychotherapist um, over here in England, and uh, she uh, she's written a very good piece. Lots of people have, have liked it. Um, it's a, it's pointing out the 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 idiocy really of having a law, an actual law that can put men in prison for uh, uh, looking at women in a way that's interpreted as being uh, sexual harassment. Now, uh, this is a very subjective thing, obviously, like it. And, and so Jenny points out all the different ways in which um, a man might be staring at a woman or apparently staring at them. He might he might be blind. Actually, somebody came up with a, with an example of, of this where a, a blind guy was was in the gym and he got he suddenly found some woman was was shouting in his face about to stop staring at him and he's saying i'm look sorry i'm blind I, you know i'm not staring at you he's, he's, stop sorry if you don't stop and she brought the manager over and he was saying look i'm blind i'm not staring i can't he showed them his card and uh still he i you know people just presumed that that's that he was doing something bad because he was apparently staying with this woman well in london on the the london underground and other public transport it is you can now go to jail if you're a man and you do that a senior police officer has urged everyone who witnesses intense staring on the london underground to report it amid concerns it could be an early sign of unhealthy sexual behavior posters have now been placed in the tube train stations across the capital stating intrusive staring of a sexual nature is sexual harassment and is not tolerated yeah i mean the thing is i mean uh there's so many ways in which you can go wrong for example i mean i had someone from spain saying actually jenny wrote about it in the article um that that in Spain you can stare at people; it's not considered to be threatening or or sexual harassment at all. People just have to stare at each other all the time. It's just eye contact is not a bad thing. On the London Underground, I mean, of course, um, you know, prob probably the same. Lots of confined spaces. It 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 does feel a bit more intense and intrusive is if people look at each other, especially if they're looking in, in right and directly in somebody's face. So I can understand that people would feel uncomfortable about it. But uh, in the current climate, I think that, that of of um, of really, I think that there's a lot of just you know this idea of toxic masculinity. Um, all men got, and this is one of the problems with the term toxic masculinity is is that it it's it sort of tars all men with the same brush. And and although people say, oh no, we don't mean all men, we just mean the men who do these things. Well, when you use a term like toxic masculinity, it's when you you tag 
toxic onto masculinity, it, it inevitably just, just it, it poisons the whole. Um, the anybody who's possessing masculinity gets poisoned, which is men basically. Well, by design, it's a catch-all term, right? It's mm. a catch-all term for any behavior by a man that you deem to find distasteful or objectionable. Yeah. So Richard Reeves was on the show a little while ago, and the school that his kids went to in Washington, D.C., there was a um, an incident that occurred where some of the boys in class had created a ranking system of all of the girls in class, from most attractive to least attractive, and that had been deemed as something that was toxic masculinity. You go, I mean, it's distasteful, but... Let's not forget that that's literally the website that Facebook was built off of the back of. Like Facebook was that very website incarnate, yeah. and now it's one of the biggest companies in the entire world. Like, Absolutely. is it toxic masculinity for boys to like? If girls did it, would that be toxic femininity? I don't think it would be. Um, but yeah, it's. I, I understand the concept creep of wanting to um, create a label, the desire to memify anything in the modern world and be able to bring it under an umbrella because it makes it sound more official. It makes it sound like uh, something that's got legitimate, uh, scientific, rigorous, intellectual, academic backing. You know, it's, yeah. it's not. It's just, it's just a term that you've decided to use to smear any behavior from guys that you don't like. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I think one of the problems with this is that we don't know what the impact is on on boys growing up of of uh, hearing about the, these sorts of labels and this general narrative about uh, men being bad or at least potentially bad. Didn't you do, you did a new report about the factors that predict well-being of 4,000 men and that had some tie-ins with their views of masculinity. What did you learn from that? Yeah, um, so this was on men rather than boys. I, I mean, I'm I am more concerned about the effect on boys because I think it might be a more have a more powerful negative impact. But this was on, um, uh, uh, you know, 2000 men in the UK, 2000 men in Germany, very similar results in both countries. And uh, we found that or I found that um, that some of the most um, significant predictors of their mental well-being uh, were uh, how they thought that masculinity affected their behavior so that men who thought that masculinity um, made them recycle less and be less environmentally friendly. This sounds silly, but um, men who uh, are men who thought that that masculinity made them inclined to be more violent to women and made them less inclined to talk about their feelings. Um, these men, uh, th this this kind of uh, set of ideas was strongly correlated with them being uh, having a less positive mindset. And this, uh, when I say less positive mindset, this uh, this this um, questionnaire that I use, the positive mindset index, is is itself strongly correlated inversely with um, suicidality. So when you say somebody is lower a lower positive mindset, you're saying that they're probably going to be more suicidal in their thinking. So basically, men who think that masculinity has a bad effect on their behavior are, you know. Have worse mental health, you could say, in a nutshell. And we found the converse was true, um, but only in the German sample significantly. Um, that men who thought that masculinity was good for their behaviour, so made them more protective of women, made them um, want to be better um, dads and uh, you know better providers in their home. These men had better mental health. Um, so i think you know there's probably although we're talking about a correlational design here there is some reasonably good 
smoking gun evidence that's that's having being exposed to a, a neg to a negative um, narrative about masculinity and and internalizing that then and thinking that masculinity is a bad thing is going to make you feel worse well and why, the- why wouldn't that be the case you know you you're kind of born it's like the, it's basically the same as original sin it's the same concept as original sin you know you're born as this fallen creature there is something innate and in you that is a part of you that you didn't choose but is also somehow toxic or mm. d- damaged or insufficient yeah i mean at least with um, original sin there's redemption you know you can, I mean, I guess certain therapists might think that they can redeem you, but I'm not sure. I just, I, I'm very worried about the, the impact on boys. Um, I, a lot of people are too. We did a survey a couple of years ago um, that found that I think 80 to, to 85% of people thought that, that were concerned that that's the narrative around toxic masculinity would have a negative impact on boys. We really, like getting back to psychology as a profession, we need to be more interested in this. We're not even a little bit interested in this this is this is one of the terrible things we're interested in finding out all the ways in which masculinity is bad for men and bad for for society we're not interested in in really examining that idea and seeing whether this idea of toxic masculinity or hegemonic masculinity or any of these ideas are, are really just uh, social constructs that psychologists and sociologists have come up with that we impose on people's behavior and then all we see is uh, evidence that confirms um, our preconception about them being bad and and uh, and having this masculine original sin uh, we we really need to be more like scientists and and investigate these things challenge hypotheses look outside our, our usual uh, what's called a, a kind of narrow um, paradigm fixation which has been used to describe the way that a lot of research in masculinity has been for the last 30 odd years. You also found personal growth, age and health satisfaction as some of the other most important factors that impacted the well-being of men in that sample. Just what's what's that as a high level? What are those things? Uh, well, so personal growth is um, just an interest in your your own personal development was the strongest predictor of mental men's mental well being. Um, wow, that seems. I mean, I know that is that kind of like being your own doctor in a way. Is that that you're taking a greater appreciation for the fact that you should be improving? You're more of a self assessor when it comes to what are the areas of my psychology, my health, my relationships that are insufficient and that I need to work on. Yeah, basically, yeah. So it's kind of, I mean, I'm overlooking this. I mean, there's lots of things in this report that suggest that the men are anything but toxic. Like the, you know, the thing that makes men happiest is when they're satisfied with their own personal development. Um, another thing um, we did in that survey was ask men uh, what core values they thought was were most important. Um, so the core values of being adventurous and being um, athletic were at the bottom of the list of things that they thought were most important. The things I most thought were most important were being honest, reliable, dependable. And this was the same across uh, UK and Germany. We'd asked men previously in the States, 5,000 men in the States, exactly the same result. I mean, this is talk about curing the replication crisis, exactly the same results. Uh, when we, and again, when we asked uh, 2,000 men in the UK in 2017, the same results. Th- these are these are the things men are not men, you know, they're desperately trying to be 
the best that they could be, which was actually, funny enough, a, a tagline for a, a Gillette ad back in the day. <laughs> the best that a man can get. Um, but, um, you know, it, it's... it's um, I think men are shockingly misrepresented in in the media and academia, and the 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 way that people presume that men are, I think, is a million miles from it. We take the 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 examples of the worst possible men, the worst possible behaviour, and we generalise it uh, to all men, and and then we go around to schools warning boys to not be that guy, and not realising that these sorts of campaigns they very easily backfire. It, it, like the, the psychology is full of these unintended consequences. You, you take this, uh, what I would say is half-baked idea, an idea that's not properly researched. You, you've got the best of intentions. Everyone says, hooray, sounds like a great idea. Let's go out there and do it. You do it. And actually you find that, um, so in the in um, student populations in the States, they've tried the, these, these sorts of things where you, um, like, don't be that guy. Don't be the guy who goes around sort of harassing women and being nasty. And what they found is that um, overall, it seems to work. Yeah, overall, on average, it seems to work. But actually, if you look down, drill down into the data a bit, uh, a bit you find that the guys who already were the nice guys are, are just as nice as they were before, maybe a bit nicer. The guys who who weren't impressed with any of this stuff in the first place have now got worse. So you've just made the problem worse. You've just, you've, you, you maybe. How would it be the case that you would get good outcomes from this kind of a campaign if the good guys got better and the bad guys got worse? If the good guys weren't going to do anything in any case, how do you because, get better outcomes? Because ninety-five percent of of the the people in that study are good guys. So when they all improve, these guys kind of get worse. It's it's these the, the bad guys get kind of. Um, uh, you know, they disappear in the data because on average, everybody is improved. Oh, I see. A bit. Well, I mean, this was the insight from David Buss's Men Behaving Badly, right? That right. was one of the, the, the big insights from that, which is that almost all sexual assaults that are conducted by men, perpetrated by men, are, are done by a very small number that are repeat offenders. You know, yeah. you have a, a small number of guys that are complete arseholes, yeah. and then you have this big wealth of, of guys that, that behave in a perfectly acceptable manner toward women. And the problem is that when you do take this broad strokes brush, you end up causing most men, most of whom are well-behaving, to feel fearful, ashamed, guilty, disgusted, whatever about their own masculinity. I remember I, I was reading an article that you shared a little while ago, uh, and this I think was in Ian Brower College in Australia, Parents and male students were left mortified after the school forced them to stand in assembly and apologize to their female classmates for sexual assaults committed by males. Brower College in southwestern Victorian town of Warnanbool, I'm not even going to try and say that properly, uh, held an assembly on Wednesday where boys were told to stand up in a symbolic gesture of apology to girls and women. My 12-year-old has no idea about rape and sexual assault, and he was made to apologize, and he doesn't understand why. Earlier, 12-year-old Levi, who had only been at the college since, since the start of the year, said he was forced to apologize to many of his classmates who he hadn't even met. They told us to stand up and turn to a girl in our class and say, sorry, Levi told Current Affair. I don't think it's okay to be sexually assaulted. I felt a bit under pressure to stand up, and if I didn't feel like I was a bad person. Another student named Vinny 
said that there were several girls in the assembly hall that began crying because they'd been revealed in front of everyone as having been victims. I had girls behind me crying because they'd basically been exposed to the entire school and we had to apologize for stuff we didn't actually do. What a mess. I mean, what an absolute mess. And this behind the, I mean, so uh, the, the mayor of London is rolling out workshops to, to sort of help boys be better people around women and be less sexist and everything like that. I mean, I don't know what's in these workshops, but if it's anything like what you just described, who's it going to help? I mean, who's going to benefit from any of that? Nobody. It's, it's public it's, struggle session. Exactly. And, uh, uh, you know, the worst thing is, that, of course, that the, the guys who are already going in that direction, they've just you've just justified them being, you know, as bad as they, they want to be. They, they just they, they hate the whole well, thing. I mean, now. you see this, I, I, you know, this is an N of one, but I see this online on the Internet. The guys that spend the most amount of time learning about gender dynamics are the ones that want to push back hardest against this sort of. Um, whatever you want to call it, like hyper egalitarian or hyper sort of um, uh, e equal uh, view of the world because they do. They feel like they're being preached to. They feel like they're being told how to behave. And if in that cohort of people, you have some people that were already, some men that were already going to be assholes, they're going to feel, I don't know, like um, virtuous backlash or, or that you're going to have that, that sort of uh, rebound effect so to speak. But when did this negative view of masculinity start in psychology? Has it always been there? No, not at all. Um, it, it's, I mean, it used to be, like, as I said, men haven't really appeared very much in psychology uh, over the years until around the 80s and 90s. And then uh, from uh, sociology, really, um, came this idea of hegemonic masculinity. Um, started up in the 70s, reached... Um, uh, psychology around the the 80s and 90s, and hegemonic ma masculinity kind of cast men as being uh, very competitive, very aggressive, um, kind of domineering, uh, or you know, uh, misogynistic, uh, homophobic, and um, and this was adopted in uh, by some people in the states, uh, and uh, and we developed then you know it just snowballed from there. So men went from being uh, considered as being athletic and uh, energetic and and domineering and and aggressive uh you know physically aggressive to being then all these things like they became homophobic and and uh, sexist and things and so we we have definitions of masculinity that are used in psychology now not not everyone in psychology uses it because it's still sort of a it's not a mainstream part of psychology uh, the media has picked up on it a lot more um governments have picked up on it unfortunately they, they you know including the un um, and associated organizations like the World Health, Health Organizations, they, they tend to have adopted this negative uh, view of men. And because the media have run with it, people, it, like it's it's just a general thing. It's kind of part of our atmosphere that we, we tend to think of that there's something wrong with men. You know, there, there's, they're at the very least privileged. If they've, if they've got wealth, they haven't really earned it. You know, they've, they've had a, a kind of a, you know, head start over, over women. I mean, it, it's, it's it's a recipe for just poisoning um, people against each other, which I think is awful. And another bad thing is that that of course it's you know, for these guys who do engage in these horrible uh, sexual behaviors and uh, bad behaviors, um, it doesn't solve that problem by just saying that they, that it's caused by masculinity. You're not going to solve the problem by by saying it's masculinity. You'll only solve the problem. Um, 
by actually getting to the roots of the problem. And the roots of the problem are usually, for people like this, um, uh, early trauma, childhood trauma, um, sometimes sexual trauma, like for, for sex offenders, sexual trauma. And um, there has been some research by uh, Naomi Murphy, who is a, 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 a clinical psychologist, worked with prison populations with some very serious offenders, um, that some of the, the very worst um, sex offenders, um, they did have uh, as their, their the, the kind of the background to their offending, uh, being sexually abused by um, female adults when they were children. So you have, the, so, but who wants to look at that? I mean, you know, we're so far away from being able to de to deal with that reality. Uh, we'd much rather, uh, and it, and it, I guess if you're a politician, how, you know, how are you going to change somebody's childhood like that? It's so difficult, and the therapy takes an awful long time. Um, but how are you going to change the circumstances which could involve social deprivation, um, what Warren Farrell calls dad deprivation, like lacking a, a father figure to steer people so that they're they they kind of uh, you know they they're socialized more easily. What's the um, um, what's what are the in, the outcomes of fatherlessness? Because obviously you know I can hear all of the wives' tales and and sort of myths that I want, but what what are the kind of outcome changes that you get for boys when they grow up in a fatherless home? Uh, and again, so we have to start off saying. Not everyone is affected in the same way. Everyone's different. Uh, some people might thrive from that, and and lots of people will have very good experiences with you know positive uh, you know role models who are women in in their lives. Um, but if th there's there certainly seems to be evidence that if we don't have some sort of like not having a father, and actually the research is interesting because they never um, make a distinction between. Um, fathers and stepfathers or in father figures but if you if you don't have a a useful sort of father figure or absent father absent families basically have more likelihood of having um delinquency you know so and this this applies to women to some extent too but certainly for for men it can it can be something that you um people drift into a, a life of crime well some, it's often not a life of crime. It's often a, a a decade of crime, or you know, up until their twenties before they grow out of it and start learning to control themselves a bit more. But um, yeah, the the risk. I mean, there's plenty of evidence that the risk of of boys and families that don't have dads um, are more likely to drift into to delinquency, and loads of them don't. Um, uh, but unfortunately, that it's uh, true. I mean, like. You know, it's again when people talk about smash the the patriarchy, um, you know, you have to kind of wonder what they're talking about smashing because the, there's, I mean, the, the patriarchy if it exists uh, in the UK or the States or Australia, or Canada these days, is the worst, most useless organisation ever because I mean I'm not sure what the the advantages are that, that men have these days. So like with boys seem to be failing in education at a, a terrifying rate. I mean, men are, are kind of, um, you know, drifting, uh, uh, you know, into homelessness, um, you know, into into prisons at, at an alarming rate, uh, suicide levels, drinking themselves to death. You know, the, 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 the patriarchy doesn't seem to have done very much uh, good for anybody. So when you're talking about smashing the patriarchy, uh, you know, who, who is the target? I mean, I, I know that people aren't saying smash the, the dad in your family, but I think that that's that's the only patriarch that's really 
left. And and uh, I think a lot of dads, I mean, they get depicted in the media as being, you know, silly or pointless and things like that. I think that the, there's just so much that's that's kind of, uh, again, as I say, I worry about children growing up, um, you know, with dads or without dads in a culture that, that really is so happy to demean anything to do with men. What challenges are particularly unique to men when it comes to managing mental health? Uh, I don't know if there, there anything would be particularly unique, um, but with the, there's there's um, barriers that that men have to overcome a bit more than women. So I think a lot of men already they they um, we've done some research on this, and it's borne out by other people's research too. Men when they got um, uh, mental health issues or they feel distressed, um, they the first thing that they want to do is is not necessarily talk to somebody about how they feel about it. In fact, they, they might not really feel very much like doing that. They want to fix the problem. So if it's um, that they're depressed because they haven't got work, they want to find money somehow or other. You know, they want to fix the problem. They want to fix their depression about not having work. They want to, to go out and get money somehow or other. Um, and whereas women, and we're back to our kind of uh, the, the way that the therapy um our, our our style of therapy that, that's on offer for people these days is more suited to women because in general when women are distressed they'll they'll want to talk about their feelings they'll they, they'll want to do that um and and it will help them and actually men can be helped a great deal by talking about their feelings too but uh, it's not the first thing that they want to do and and when they look around for for somebody to talk to you know you know, it's not hard for them to 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 realize that it's them. You know, they can't just talk to anybody. For example, getting back to to um, a male victim of domestic violence, and about a third of of victims of domestic violence are men. Um, who is he going to talk to about this? I mean, a lot of of therapists, unless they they have knowledge or experience of this, might presume that if he's involved in domestic violence, that he started it, uh, you know, that he's the problem. And of course, the police traditionally are very similar. Actually, th this is starting to change thanks to, to people like Mark Brooks and the Mankind Initiative and, uh, and other people who are, uh, you know, spreading better information. Like, you know, Mark Brooks is very good at getting um, onto the television and telling people about the, the facts about domestic violence. And... Um, so if a man is suffering from domestic violence, he knows that he can go to the Mankind Initiative and he can phone their hope, uh, their helpline and he knows that he's not going to be presumed to be an offender. He knows that when he talks to somebody there, they will they will accept that 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 he he may you know he, they, they will not presume that he's uh, doing anything other than telling the, the truth about his experience. Um, but a lot of of other places that men can go. They, they can't necessarily make that assumption. And lots of men know this. I mean, like, I have to say, I mean, I'm a bit embarrassed. Uh, I, I I have tended over the years to, to end up doing research on things that actually most of the general public already knew about. So when I did my research, finding that, that uh, when, when distressed, women want to talk about their feelings and men want to fix the problem, no one was surprised except psychologists who I talked to. So I, <laughs> And there's, there's so many other things. I mean, I, you know, but uh, well, isn't that but, strange? Isn't it strange that you're having to reverse engineer an ideology out of the discipline which is supposed to know what the public is already aware of? I, I, I again, it's it's uh, you know, it's 
terrifying in one way. I mean, we're supposed to be the ones who kind of know, aren't we? Really, you know? Yeah, you're supposed to be the tip of the tip of the spear, and downstream from that is the general public that are learning off the back of. I mean, yeah, yeah I. It's it's a it's a, a strange one, I, I suppose, especially when we're talking about men getting into therapy. I had this guy Adam Lane Smith on the show, psychotherapist from the Midwest. And he, he really sort of red-pilled me about this, about saying, look, men want to be able to fix the problem. Men want to be able to feel capable and in control, and you want to give them the uh, path out of it. Now, women are happy to talk about their, um, their emotions, but that doesn't really make men feel any more capable. You know, it might make them it, uh, help them to open up and understand what's going on, but it doesn't fix the fundamental sort of listlessness vulnerability that is... Um, I guess a cause of a lot of shame and around this you see I don't know like if a if a guy is to open up about something that he's struggling with a, a man who is going through a difficult breakup let's say uh, is sort of told that they should get on with things a woman that's going through a difficult breakup is deserving of sympathy now that's not to say that uh, again on average blah 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 but it doesn't seem to help the situation it doesn't seem to help the situation massively. No, it doesn't. And it, it's, I mean, again, like when you mentioned the, the red pill community, I mean, the, there's all sorts of of places online that, that are kind of, you know, they, they're ahead of, of psychologists in this. They, they know it and, and guys know it. Like they, they will gravitate to these places and they might not always get the best help that they need, you know, from these places. I mean, that so... What we need, we need some sort of combination of what a psychologist can offer in terms of of the years of because psychologists are are usually very good at dealing with a, a, a lot of issues. I have to say, just when it comes to to men these days, it's 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 not worked out so well. But they do need to 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 be um, to be more open to uh to to what they're hearing from the internet and not dismissing it as being the manosphere and things like that well the problem I mean, the problem that you have if you don't have a an authority which is not necessarily regulated but is more rigorous with its methods and stuff if you don't have that available for men to go to they will go to reddit yeah. communities and discord servers and uh, youtube channels and stuff like that and yeah. that's great up until the point at which audience capture and the incentives of audience capture encourage those creators to make ever more outlandish claims that can become toxic in their own right. There are 100% incredibly toxic, negative areas of the red pill, manosphere, black pill, mm. incel community online that are, the world would be better if they didn't exist, right? Mm. Now, the problem is, and it's the same reason as to why um, when people ask about how come the right appears to have captured most of the conversations around around men. It's like, well, because the left doesn't care. The left isn't having a conversation with men about what it means to be a man. They're not presenting any positive role models for either men to grow up into or for masculinity as a concept generally. So you've just left this world open. And it's the exact same dynamic that I'm seeing with regards to psychology and the manosphere, as if you want to call it as like one just big group psychology and psychologists haven't spoken to men in a way that gives them a firm footing for them to stand on that helps them to understand their own programming their own nature so i'm going to go somewhere i go to this place on the internet but then we have a lot more uh perverse and contra incentives that are going to cause those people to uh 
take information and run, play liberties with what it is that they can say. They're not beholden to, you know, any rigors of academia or anything. There's no regulations at all. And that is how you end up with this sort of intensity spiral that creates an ever more um, aggressive uh, and sometimes negative community. Yeah, absolutely. And psychology has failed there. I mean, we we should have never adopted this negative view of masculinity. Um, We should have been always more open to what men need when they've got mental health issues. For some reason, we've just, I mean, as Martin Seeger described it, male gender blindness, we've just not been able to see it. Uh, we, We still even though we have a male psychology section of the, the British Psychological Society, and it's out there, and it, it's it's um, you know it's it's giving the right messages. I mean, who's listening? I mean, I I just really really wish that more people within psychology would pay attention and and be open. I mean, I, unfortunately, I mean, I, you know, there's a lot of people who will just as soon as you mention helping men. They switch off. They they think that that's uh, you know it's like um, you're certainly going to go back to caveman days when men dragged women around by the hair or whatever cavemen supposedly did. Uh, but it's not about that. Is it? If if you leave men who are mentally unwell to their own devices, they're going to be not very productive members of the community to say the least. If you know so. The cure for toxic masculinity, if you want to call it that, is to to actually listen to these guys, to help these guys, to be open to these guys, to understand what the cause of their problems is and not be afraid to do that. I mean, because it's a big challenge, a big challenge, like your peers might reject you for wanting to help men, but also it's a big challenge, um, like when you're face to face with with some guy who's angry, who's who's hurt, he might want to hurt you, he might reject you entirely. That's a big challenge. Like forensic psychology is one of the, the, the the biggest challenges that anyone can get involved with. I have huge respect for people who are working in these areas, uh, but we really need to 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 get real, be realistic, not fall for for the the the, the narrative and the ideology that we've been fobbed off with for too long. How worried are you on this rise of sexlessness and loneliness, uh, lonely single men? Yeah, uh, it, it's not going to go anywhere good i mean so um a couple of the previous uh, reports that i've done have looked at um have found that that men who are in stable relationships are like that much happier than men who are single okay so so this is and this is borne out by lots of different studies so being in a stable relationship makes you happier whether that's marriage or, or just being uh going steady over a period of time but uh so being single i mean it, it gives you some opportunities for dating, but I mean, actually, most guys don't do that well on dating apps and things like that. It can be pretty tough. Um, so, what do you turn to? I mean, that there's porn and stuff like that. I mean, a lot of men turn to porn when they're distressed. We've we've done some research on on this too. It's a kind of a, a way way of dealing way of coping. Like women tend to to comfort eat more, and men tend to go to, to for porn more for to relieve stress. And um, no, it's not going to go anywhere good. I mean, it's, it's, I, I'm, you know, we as a society are stupid to think that this isn't something that we should be paying more attention to and not in a punitive way, but to actually just help these guys a little bit. And I'd say one of the first things we could do is, is recognize that a lot of the messages that, that we're um, sending to men through our 
you know, through, through things like laws, like about men staring at women on the London transport, or things like talking about toxic masculinity, or headlines like why it's okay to hate men, or on the internet, this idea of like kill all men, like this bit, you know, kind of uh, a phrase that that's, uh, flies around. I mean, it's ridiculous to think that this is not going to have a bad effect uh, on men. And it's also naive to think that this is not going to rebound on all of us at some well, point. Well, it'll rebound on women as well, because fundamentally yeah. women require a partner who is worthy of them. You know, women, 50.1% of women for the first time in history are childless by 30. A report that came out by Reuters a couple of months ago said that for the first time ever, 45% of prime working-aged women between the ages of 22 and 45 will be single and childless by 2030. All of these stats suggest that women are struggling to find a mate that they can contend with and are attracted to. And I went out uh, maybe a year and a half ago with a friend and we were in uh, a bar in in London uh, and he's single and I sort of nudged him and pointed to a group of girls over the far side near the bar and I was like, why why don't you go over and and, and talk to one of those? And he looked like I'd suggested that we go and dismember one of them. He's like, I've been told that I should never approach a woman in a bar, that that that's that's incredibly dangerous for me to do. And he's Gen Z, so he's what, maybe 12 years younger than I am. Uh, and for me, coming from the background that I had, which is like po- uh, back end of lout era, like Larry British lad culture in sort of 2006, 2010, um, that, that would be just unheard of. Right, there was no absolutely no concern because you didn't have this panopticon of technology constantly surveilling you, you know. Mm. Uh, but then on the other side of this, I can see why you could say um, that era that I was in, where men were going up to women, would have meant that women had uh, more approaches from men, that they had more opportunities to find a good mate. You know, evidence seems to suggest that women want to be approached by men. But then you also get negative externalities. You know, a, a, a woman that says no, that rebuffs a man one times in X many hundred or thousand is going to end up in a, a situation that she feels very uncomfortable and then you have the me too uh, renaissance that was absolutely needed uh but then what happens when you overshoot and yeah. it's this it's this very um black and white sort of uh mono view of the world that it everything is good or everything is bad it's significantly easier to see people in those regards one of the things i wanted to actually mention that i've i've come to realize or believe over this year that was kind of interesting is um there's often stories about how when you have societies with a high preponderance of single men men without partners that that is just before some huge instability that causes its downfall, right? And there's some evidence throughout history that seems to suggest men get into a relationship, testosterone drops, men have a child, testosterone drops again, they are part of a community, blah, blah, blah. They're domesticated, essentially, by their partner and their family. Um, one of the questions that I was toying with for the back end of this year is, where are all of the incel killings? If it is the case that we have the highest rates of sexlessness amongst men aged 18 to 30 ever in history... Why aren't there roving bands of miscreants outside pushing over granny and spray painting stuff and causing havoc? And I've come to believe that what's happening is that rather than those men going out with a bang, they're going out with a whimper. They are being sedated through porn and video games into retreating away from that status-seeking behavior that may have got them a little bit of attention, which ultimately could have led them to get a partner or or uh, raise up in their standing within the, the community. Um, and I, I don't think, you know, whatever, five, five years ago or so, 
some of the concerns, the Elliot Rogers of the world, you know, we're going to see this happening more and more and more. We just haven't. You know, it is it is not going up in line with the uh, the rates of sexlessness and singleness amongst men. So you have to presume that something else is happening in order to be able to sedate men out of that behavior. And I think that it is this porn and video games thing. Now, if you were to give me two worlds, one in which you have constant mass shootings done by disaffected guys and another in which that doesn't happen, like I'll take the one that it doesn't happen, but that, that's you can't say that the... Uh, number of men playing Call of Duty and smoking weed is in any way also like useful. That's that's that, that's still not good. It's just less less bad than them taking the gun from the video game into the real world. Yeah, as I said, it's not going to end up well for anybody. You love these guys who will have unfulfilled lives. Um, people who would have been their partners will have unfulfilled lives. Um, I have worked in uh, in the field of women's mental health too. And uh, one of the things that that uh, I saw a lot of was um, how distressing it is for for women, men also, but how distressing it is for women to have problems with uh, with um, conceiving a child. I mean, like the the amount of money that's spent on IVF and how much stress that they, they will go through is unbelievable. And it, it's, I mean, it's hard to appreciate when you're younger how how much stress you're going to have when you get older because. It's. I mean, again, it's, we're back to tropes and stereotypes, but like this, it's the idea of the biological clock for women is. I mean, in my experience of of dealing with women in these situations, it's it's true and it's a tragedy, and we we should we should be trying to help everybody. I think to um, to. I mean, in an ideal world, you know, we would have people kind of uh, meeting up in a kind of an effortless way um, and, and and kind of matching off with each other and, and having happy lives and happy families. I, I think that would be a good result for everyone. But we're, I think we're, we're scaring women away from, from men these days and, and men are just sort of feeling rejected and backing into a corner and, and that's not good. No, and I wonder whether a world in which most of your experiences of the real world can be mediated by social media and news, you actually end up experiencing many other lives, right? The stories that you hear about other people's lives as opposed to your own. And if we've got a world in which remote work and more social isolation comes through, what you actually end up doing is getting your model of the world, especially relationships between the sexes, and you take that from news, but news isn't a representative sample of the things that are happening. By design, the news articles that come out are the ones that are the most egregious. It's the the woman that divorces the man and takes his brother and leaves him for dead and all of his money's gone and she's taken the dog and the dog won't even see him again or the 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 reverse you know a woman says no to a guy in a the the copy room at work and she ends up being chopped up and put in the freezer and he eats her for chili and stuff like those are the sorts of stories that you hear and if you have fewer and fewer interactions in the real world that can disprove that what you end up with but you end up with that being your model of the world, which feeds into the anxiety, which makes you less social, which means that you've got less real world experience to disprove the stories. And the cycle just continues. Yeah. I mean, in a way, everyone needs to get out more, you, you could say, and uh, talk to each other more, too. Like there's some some really good things happening, like um, in terms of men's mental health, men's sheds, a, a really good idea, just getting men together putter around, do X, Y, Z activity. It doesn't really matter what it is. And they get to just chat a little bit. And that's brilliant for their mental health. And there's sort of Andy's Man Club and things like that where men get together. And and these things, you know, kind of getting outside, being out in the real world, finding out the reality is not as bad as it is. 
And the same for women too. Like men are really not as bad as you might think. There's loads of brilliant guys out there. They might be stuck on their Xbox at the moment, but you know, just dust them off a little bit. They'll, they'll be brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> Look, Dr. John, I really appreciate you. Um, where should people go if they want to check out the stuff that you do online? Um, best place is probably the Center for Male Psychology um, dot com. Um, and uh, we've got, uh, they can sign up to our newsletter, which is free, and they get the monthly magazine, um, which you've talked about a couple of the, the articles in there. Yeah, we get, they're very popular, very good. Um, if you're a psychologist, go to the, the male psychology section website on the British Psychological Society, and you'll find that there's some, oh, the Centre for Male Psychology too is a great place. We've got loads of articles, um, academic articles too, as well as sort of more general magazine articles. So, um, and we have questionnaires that you can use, like the Positive Mindset Index and things like that. So yeah, go, go to those places. All right, John. Thank you. Okay. Thanks a lot, Chris. Cheers. Cheers.